So to continue from the episode where I spoke about my custody battle, I kind of wanted to continue the story and talk about what happened after that initial hearing. So my husband, eventually about a year after that, had finished his contract with the military. I had moved back home before him and stayed with a friend. And when he finished out his contract, he came and joined me. So it was, oh, it was difficult. I can't really think of the words to describe what it felt like to be living back there. Going back and forth to visit my daughters was difficult, but now I would be living there. So it was just a whole different thing. And I was advised by my lawyer that for me to even win anything in court, even the visitation or overnight visitations that I needed to get as close to him as possible. And the reasoning she gave was to stay in the same school district so my daughters would not have to switch schools. (sighs) I didn't want to. I looked at a few houses, but... The closer I always got to his home, the more anxiety that I could feel just rushing over me. So we moved about a half an hour away. And I told my lawyer that this was the best that she was going to get because I was not going to be living in a constant fight or flight because I was living that close to him, that it was dangerous, and it was, and it would have been. So we lived about a half hour away, and I would get my daughters on the weekends. They never really spent the night, but I had them pretty much all day, and it was amazing. We had so much fun. We would go sightseeing, go to kids' museums, zoos, uh, different landmarks in the area that we were in that are really neat. I wish I could talk about them. And sometimes we would just stay at my apartment. We'd go out to eat the mall. Me and my daughters would go get our nails done. One time we went and got our hair done because... We had to go to a birthday party for one of my oldest daughter's friends. And yeah, they had like these prom style hair dues for uh, this roller skating party, which if you have not gone roller skating, oh, the nostalgia. Let me just add that. So it went great for a good long time. And then a lot of weird things started happening. And I had to go to my doctor's office, which I was able to get back into the doctor that I saw as a child, surprisingly enough. And sitting in the waiting room was like the most bizarre thing, because I hadn't been in there in over 20 years. And just reconnecting 
with those doctors, it was weird. It felt good to be around somebody that had known me my entire life, but it also was, it's so hard to explain. So it's just the way they looked at me, like they were so happy to see me, but it wasn't just the reunion part of it. It was almost as if they couldn't believe that they were seeing me alive and well. And one of the doctors, he hid from me every single time. And I thought it was hysterical. And I know what all of you are thinking is he hid from me for the sex trafficking reasons. But when I was young, I believe I was told I was three, I had a rash and they had determined that it was from a bacterial infection. I think it was strep throat, but I don't remember. But they had told me that it took both of my parents, three nurses, and two doctors to hold me down to draw blood because they gave me penicillin and the rash got worse. So they would up the dosage, and then it just kept on getting worse. So they drew blood and found out that I'm allergic to penicillin and mold. That doctor was so traumatized that he couldn't even come near me as an adult because of just how horrified he was at having to hurt a child. And... I don't remember the entire experience, but I remember they had this, it was like a thing on the wall that had toys and different things for the kids. And he got down, you know, to my level and I asked if I could take a toy and he said, you can have all of them. And he just said, you know, I'm so sorry that I did that to you, like tears in his eyes. It was very strange. This memory is just very strange that there was an adult that actually cared that they hurt me. So I was on my way to that office because I really liked them. And my ultimate goal was to try to get access to my medical records as a child, which I'm still going through them. It's hard, and I can't get through very many pages very often. But the signs of abuse were there. We'll just say that. And I can understand why they were missed. But it's just kind of like hindsight 2020. So I'm on my way to the doctor's office and I noticed that there was a car that was following me. And there's this one area right near the doctor's office where there's a traffic light and you can either go straight or turn left. Where I grew up, we don't exactly always have the left turning lanes on the smaller roads. But what we do is when someone's turning left, we go around them in the shoulder. I thought that was a pretty common thing, but as I've traveled the country 
I found out that it really is not. So I stopped and put my left turn signal on and so did the car behind me. And then I went straight instead of turning and he followed me. And I just went a little bit further down and turned left into the doctor's office, went in to be seen for whatever it was. And then I noticed he was following me when I left. And I had a friend with me that uh, she had moved there with us. So I took her to the house that I grew up in, the house that I lived in when I was first born, the house that we moved into after my father got out of prison, the apartment that I stayed in when uh, my father was in prison. I mean, just all over. I then took like the longest way possible back home and that car was behind me the entire time. So it was pretty obvious that I was being followed. So every time after that, that we left our house, I always paid attention and there was definitely people following us. And I had called the police and asked if there was a way that they could check if it was a private investigator or not. And they weren't really much help with that. But given the age of this person and just the way they looked, I don't believe it was. And then there was another time that I was being followed, but this time it was a different car. And that kind of solidified it for me that it was not private investigators that were following me. And I was outside walking my dog and this person just opened up their car door and their dog came out running after me and attempted to attack me, but my dog was able to protect me and I was able to safely get inside of my condo. But there were things like that that happened. I mean, I would come home and my pictures were completely changed on my wall. Um, I had all the pictures of my daughters and my son in the shape of a heart above my couch, and they would move them around. They kept the same shape, but they would take each individual picture and move it. They had somehow taken the buzzer to let people into the building off the wall, and that was smashed on the floor just a lot of different things that were just very strange that started to happen. And I, I grew very afraid, very afraid. And I knew that staying there wasn't a good idea. So me and my husband started putting a safety plan into place that we were going to move close enough that we could still see my daughters every week, but far enough away that hopefully people would not be following me. But it was difficult to find a place because when we finally moved there, we were renting. And
happened when we had credit checks done is when we had found out that our identities had been stolen and our credit was completely full. We were not able to get approved for pretty much anything. And I was just trapped at that house, um, condo, whatever you want to call it. So a lot of other things started happening that I don't want to discuss. I never confirm or deny what may or may not have happened to somebody else. And if something even sounds like it could potentially be something, I won't even talk about it because I don't want anyone's minds to go there. But things were just escalating. And I think that's just the perfect word to use. So as things essentially just progressed worse and worse, There was an incident where the police had escorted my ex-husband to my home. And I don't know if a lot of people understand, but most police departments have to stay within their jurisdiction. So considering I was not only in a different jurisdiction, but a completely different county, the fact that his police department was able to escort him was like completely just crazy. They weren't allowed to do that. So there was one night where I had pretty much everyone in my family sitting in the basement of my condo because I had people banging on my doors, banging on my windows, and it was police officers and my ex-husband and his wife. And I mean, to kind of describe the condo a little bit, it was like you walked in the front door and you had to walk up like half a flight of steps. So it wasn't exactly easy to knock on any windows because essentially I was on the second floor um, and that's the windows that they were banging on. So it eventually turned out that I had to call my local police department out and have not only my ex-husband and his wife trespassed, but also the police officers because they were out of their jurisdiction Where he lives is a very small town, a very small population, so pretty much everybody knows the police. And I had just this very horrible night that night. I was so triggered. I had so many flashbacks, and I was attempting to make calls like to the emergency line for sexual assault victims because I wasn't really fully aware of the sex trafficking at this point in my life. And they essentially told me that I called entirely too much. So I was sitting in a crisis. I had not only police and my ex-husband knocking on the door, but the place that 
I had that was my safe place to call had completely turned their backs on me. So it just became abundantly clear that I was living in a very toxic environment. And after that night, um, we went to a friend's house that was about two, two and a half hours away and spent the night there because I was just too terrified to come home. And when we actually did come home, just the damage that was done to the condo was unbelievable. And inside and out, I mean, I just looked at my husband and I just, I said to him, like, we can't be doing this. I had received a call and I recognized the phone number. It was my father. And he said a lot of things. I didn't really give him the time of day. I attempted to cut him off while he was talking, telling him that this was enough. I mean, it was crazy, everything that was going down. And I knew that he had a bigger part in it than my ex-husband's. My ex-husband is, he's just like a lap dog, all bark, no bite, and he just does what people tell him to do. So I knew that my father was behind it and that they were essentially trying to scare me away. So during this conversation, my father told me not to be surprised if my son went missing. And at that time, my husband was not home. So I called to let him know about the threat. And within 20 minutes, there was an attempt on my son to be kidnapped. And I called the police out. They took the report. And... There is an active warrant for the threat, but it's a misdemeanor. So until he go, unless he goes to that jurisdiction and gets pulled over, the cops can't really do anything. But it was strange because when we called about the person that actually did the attempt of kidnapping, that police station refused to do anything. And there excuse that they gave was that the person was probably just high and confused, which seemed even worse. I mean, it was just such an incredibly confusing time because I was, I mean, looking back now, I was at the place where all the lies happened where the gaslighting happened, where the police officers were believing my parents over me, where the clients had control, where my parents had control. So I said to my husband, we've got to go. I can't be here anymore. So I had a custody hearing coming up. And I went up to file some paperwork. Um, I'm not really, I don't really remember exactly what the paperwork, it was like an amendment type thing. And when I walked out of the courthouse, my tires had been slashed. 
So it was just one thing after the other. Once I got those fixed, then all the gas was siphoned out of my van. I mean, it got to the point where we had to start parking it in this garage that wasn't even big enough to fit the smallest car you could find. So we just packed everything up and I left and I asked if I could do everything with the child support and custody through phone conferences because of safety reasons I was being forced to leave the state, which I was told that I would be able to, but again, the judge wasn't on my side. So if you look up my custody case, which I don't think anyone will, and I definitely don't think it's anybody's business, it'll say that sole custody was granted to my ex-husband, but the reason was was because I stopped going to court. I just, I could not stay in that situation. My daughters were safe and everything with them was okay. I made sure of it. I still have very, very good friends in town that keep a very close eye on my children. But I could not protect my daughters the same way that I could protect my son because they weren't in my custody. And my daughters didn't need protecting. My son did. CPS had been called out again, and they had said that I was neglecting him and not feeding him. That child was, like, overweight. He was, oh, he. I mean, he literally, he's been in over the 99th percentile his entire life. He's seven, and he's almost as tall as I am. Like, he's just always been huge. Very, very healthy eater. <laughs> but... When I met with that caseworker in, in the last few days that I spent there, I had told her, you know, just give me the cup. And she was like, why? I said, I know they're making drug allegations. Here's the list of my prescriptions. Here's uh, the bottles. Just give me the cup. I'm ready to pee. I'm, you know, I, it was just, it, I went right back into what I had years before when I had custody of my daughters, just like I call a child services mode. It's like I knew exactly what they were going to ask. I knew exactly what was in the allegations. I mean, there was a point where I would, I hate to use the word joke, but I would joke with the worker and say, like, I bet you I can repeat that entire complaint and get everything right. And I would say everything and be like, so what did I miss? And like their eyes were like a deer in headlights because I got it all. But this particular meeting was so different than any other one I had ever had my entire life, including what I spoke about when my daughter was five years old. So she said there was no drug allegations, but since I requested to take it, it was kind of suspicious, but I explained, you know, the history there. So we, um, we had a long talk and I had showed doctor records and 
a whole bunch of things. And she just kept asking, like, why are your daughters not with you? And I, you know, told her, I just, I can't fight anymore. I just don't have the money. I can't stay here. It's too dangerous. And, you know, I just, I went over everything. And she said something to me that blew my mind. And it was that if those girls lived in her district, they would be in my custody. And I just cried because it was like I had been fighting that I wasn't a bad mom, that I was a good mom, that I took care of my kids, that they always came first, that, you know, family was real important. And the judge just acted like I was this very mentally unhealthy drug addict. And it was just amazing to have that validation. And looking back, obviously, I had finally gotten a worker in that area that was not a part of the ring, which I was in a different county. So obviously, it was a little bit more towards like isolated in the county that I lived in when I grew up. I'm talking the control that my father and mother specifically had. So we went through all the motions. She closed the case immediately. She said it was absolutely ridiculous that she would be notating on my chart that if another call came in, that they would pursue false allegation charges. I guess if you call too many times and make a false allegation against someone, you can actually be charged. So usually it takes a bunch of calls for that to happen. But considering I had been dealing with this now for, at this point, it was over about five years. They were going to take all the previous calls from the previous state into account. But I did leave and move away because it was just... It was what I needed to do. It was the second hardest decision in my life. The first was sending my daughters to their dad and leaving them behind was even harder. The state that I lived in, it was impossible for me to still have in-person visitation. I moved pretty much across the country and I still had the Skype dates, so they were pretty much set in stone. Though the longer I've been away, the less they've been compliant, I guess is the word. I mean, I, I don't think I've had a Skype date with my daughters in years, but they're older now, so we are in constant contact. But... It was like, I, like even sitting here now and just trying to think about all of it, it's like, how can an attorney know the extent of things that happen to you and then urge you and compel you to move back to that place? So it was just, again, my children 
being used as a weapon to get me or to hurt me or whatever. And they were unaware. They were unhurt. They just, they knew that mom, mommy had to go and that I wasn't leaving them. Um, I think we blamed the army. We blamed something. I don't remember. But I had talked to my aunt and I've spoken about her before. She was the one that um, did not want to help with the violation of the protection order and uh, I told her that I wanted to just stop contact with my daughters and sign over my parental rights that if I was no longer their mother legally then they couldn't use them to hurt me anymore and it was trying to basically beat them at their own game so she talked me into it actually and said that I should go out and buy journals and write letters to them as often as I can and send it to them on their 18th birthdays that, you know, I could buy birthday cards and just have these packages that they would get when they turned 18. And she said they'd understand. I didn't, I, I never did do it. But thinking back, it's like, how could a mother say that to another mother? that the best thing for her kids was to just cut all ties with them and that they would understand. <sighs> just the thought that I almost did it is so hard to say out loud, but luckily my husband is the man that he is and he refused to allow me to. So I didn't make that mistake, a mistake that part of my family was attempting to get me to make. So I don't think that was an accident. But once I moved, I thought that things were going to get better, but it was chaotic for a little while. And then I had to move again and then again and again and again and again. And now I am in the 19th state in 12 years. And every single time chaos ensues, I have to move again. And it's just been this constant state of instability and I know they're doing it and I know that is the intended goal is to keep my life as completely unstable as they can stability brings a lot of things to someone it can bring strength it can bring the chance to relax I mean it can bring a lot of things 
and you need stability in your life. But my husband was military, so we were already used to that life of not sitting still. I mean, I don't know anybody where I live. I'm not friends with anyone. But I was used to that. I was used to having friends all over the country because that's what military wives did. You know, people got PCS, which is permanent change of station, and, you know, the snap of a finger sometimes. So you are able to build bonds with people that are so far away and quickly, too. So uh, while they were attempting to destabilize my life, it actually turned into the stability that I was used to. See, living in the same place, living back where all the horrible things happened to me, that is instability for me. Moving every couple of years, sometimes this most recent move was just a couple of months. That's my norm. That's my sense of stability. It works for my family. I, my husband or my son is so above his grade level that homeschooling is what's best for him. So I don't have to worry about that. I mean, the paperwork of doing the exemption gets a little annoying, but um, my husband, the place that he works has places all over the place. So transfers are pretty easy. But I have a good life now. And I think leaving all of that behind played a huge part in that. You can't let go of the past if you're still touching it. And what I mean by that is not where some people say just let it go. It's my past is where I grew up, where I escaped, my parents, my ex-husband, my family, even friends from that time. So as long as I was still in contact or in those places, I was touching my past. So I think the fact that I was able to move was one of the biggest steps for me. And I remember back in AA meetings, they say you need to change your people, places, and things in order to, you know, get away from your addiction and help to recover. And it's stop talking to the people you used with. Stop going to the places you used. Stop doing the things that you did. So I kind of took from that when I made the decisions that I did to leave the places that I did. And it was the best thing for me. And I know some people think it is insane to move as much as I have, but when you have a family and you need to protect them because my husband, he didn't do anything wrong. He doesn't deserve this. 
my son has not and never will even know my parents' voices because he was born long after I was gone. So I have to protect them. I have to do what I have to do to make sure that they're the best and that their lives are protected because they don't know the levels that these people will go to. So here I am. (laughs) And I am loving my new place, loving this new state. Um, Very different from anywhere I'd ever lived before. But that difference has so much beauty in it. And I am again in the address confidentiality program as always. So I am as protected as I can be. And I'll be here until they find me, which they always do. And I've already got my next place picked out that I'm going to go. And it's just as beautiful as this one. So that is the story of my custody battle. It was something that I think just shows the extent of parental alienation when it comes to survivors of not just sex trafficking, but domestic violence as well. I was told that the biggest reason that I had to be supervised was because of PTSD. And the decision making on everything was the PTSD. They were concerned about flashbacks and panic attacks occurring in front of my daughters. So I was basically denied access to my daughters because of the PTSD I got from the people I was trying to protect them from, which is why I was in court in the first place. So the family court system is another place that needs revamping because they don't, they just don't protect victims there. They judge them for a lot of, I guess, complications that happen after abuse and sex trafficking. They use anything that happened to you against you. So the PTSD was used against me. The addiction was used against me. And it did not matter. Even if I went today, which there would be no point, my daughters are too old for that, But if I went today, 10 years clean, 12 years away, and pretty much everything back in control, they wouldn't care. They would still use it against me. It was like this dark stain on my life that they can always use, especially that call where I got the charges from. He, for the first time, got to be the victim. And he used that 
quote unquote victim status. It didn't matter that I was his victim for eight years and his charges were more severe. It just mattered that he was the most recent. I had reactive abuse. So to anyone that's going through this, I made the mistake and stopped fighting. At the time, it was the best decision for me and my family. And if I had to go back again, I think I would have sent my husband and my son away and I would have stayed behind and fought harder. So you're not alone. You are not crazy. No matter what is said at court, you know your truth and hold on to that truth and keep on telling it and say it over and over again until the judge knows that it's the truth because it will come out. It was not difficult for my attorney to get my ex-husband to admit that he was lying on the stand, under oath. People like this show their true colors eventually, and a lot of the times it's in that courtroom. My father did it when I got the restraining orders. My mother did it when I got the restraining orders. And my ex-husband did it during our custody battle. He showed that he was a liar and that he was trying to play victim for his gain. He didn't care about my daughters. He does not think I'm a bad mother. He's not keeping my daughters from me because he thinks that's what's best for my daughters. He's doing it because it's all he has to continue to control me like he had our entire marriage. So just tell yourself that and keep reminding yourself it's a game of power and control and the truth will come out. They'll show their colors. Just keep fighting. Don't give up. So I'm going to leave it there. And I had gotten a little bit of feedback that, I mean, it was only one vote that people liked the Just Talking No music. So until that poll's done, I'm just going to stick with that. I actually like it. It's a lot less stressful to script it and or then scripting it and adding music and all of that stuff. It was a lot of work. But thank you so much for your continued support and love. I, it means the world. I know my last episode was just a lot of complaining, which I usually don't like to do, but you know, some of those things I felt needed to be said, but this is, uh, it's going to be a good day today. I want to make sure to have that because self-care is so important. So I am going to go pamper myself and I hope everyone has a great day. And I hope that maybe listening helps some people feel less alone. Maybe they can hear my experience and learn 
from it by hearing where I went wrong. And hopefully we can bring some change. Again, write your senators, write the legislators. They're the ones that need to change the laws. They're the ones that have the power to change the laws. So thanks for listening, and I'll talk with you soon.